Friends, our passage for today is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words from my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. Please open our hearts and work in it through the Spirit that we will come to love you more, even as we hear your words. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Now imagine the situation, right? So there's an engineer who takes care of expensive equipments in the office, but one day he dropped an expensive thing, probably a server or something, and it's a bit damaged, it doesn't work properly, and the engineer's scared. Oh no, if I have to pay back, I'll go bankrupt. If the boss finds out, I'll get fired. So obviously what he did, he hide it lah. And then his colleague found out. And what the colleague did is, you must now do all these things that I'm going to tell you to do. So with that begins a life of suffering. The colleague asked him to cover for the rest of the team, work late, buy them lunch and tea, and all the things like that. And every time the engineer tries to make an excuse, he'll, ah, 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 you want me to tell the boss? Then he gets quiet and he just does it. So... This engineer then becomes sick and depressed and tired. But one day, the colleague asked him to do something and the engineer said, no, I'm not going to do it. The colleague was shocked. You want me to tell the boss? Ah? Then the engineer said, no, actually, I went to the boss and I confessed to him. And the boss said, it's okay. No problem. The company will get a new one. Just be more careful next time. Now, Seems like we have a happy ending for the story. But imagine if you come to visit him again the next week and you see him working late at night, buying food for his colleagues. How would you feel if you saw that? What would you tell him? Now, you understand a bit more why I'm using this example here. If you think about the situation that the Galatians is, so in a sense, this is an allegory. Now, the Galatians, they've received the gospel from Paul, but now they are tempted to adopt Jewish customs and Jewish laws by these Judaizers. And instead of holding firm as what Paul would have expected, to do, expected them to do, these guys, they are attracted because they, they want to be accepted by the Judaizers and they want to do all these things. And they probably feel incomplete if they, don't feed, if they don't follow all the things that the Judaizers do and they're not welcome within their circle. And so with that then, we come to see Paul's warning to them in verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And we see, right, this is the same passage that we saw the ending of uh, last, chapter, uh, last week. And this also begins this section's. Right? And the point Paul is making with this verse is that it is about the purpose behind why Christ has saved them in the manner that he has. Now, before we can understand that, we need to see it from a Jewish perspective, right? The Jews, they're waiting for their promised Messiah, the Christ who will come and lead them into the fulfillment of the blessings of the Old Testament that they're eagerly waiting for. Right? They were in the promised land, but it didn't turn out to be a land of flowing with milk and honey. It was not quite paradise. And so the hope that they have is there's a covenant. God said, obey the law and commandment and he will bless. And so they're thinking, okay, I need to work hard for this. But 
on the same side, the covenant was also a double-edged sword because God also says disobedience will bring about curses. So we see throughout the Old Testament that the Jewish people living under the law in the hope of receiving the promise were unable to lay claim to the blessing because they sinned. But then, finally, comes the Messiah. And the Jewish people would have expected him to become their king, to encourage, to guide them, to give them more steps on how they can obey the law properly. But what happened when Christ came? He did not call people into Judaism, as they would have expected. Instead, he called them to enter the kingdom of God through faith. He called people to follow him. He called people to look at his teaching. In fact, he was actually pointing out the things that the Jewish people were doing wrong because the Pharisees were interpreting the law in a way that's very legalistic. Now, this idea that Jesus brings, that people find their salvation not based on their merits, but rather based on Jesus' perfect obedience, and they receive it by trusting in him. This idea was so radical to Judaism that they wanted to kill him. So now Paul takes all of this history and he points out that Christ did not come to call people into Judaism. They are not being called into slavery under the law, but freedom in Christ. Everyone, Jew and Gentile, who comes to Christ to enter the kingdom of God, do not come through their own works, but come through Christ. So Judaism is not the way that Christ is leading people to go to. And so the purpose of all that Christ has done is actually to free you from the law. So having pointed that out, he wants the Galatians, don't submit back to that yoke of slavery that goes back to the wrong things. So Paul then ties this in to their practical situation in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So the Galatians, we know, have been asked to circumcise themselves, and presumably that's the first step, and from there they will start adhering to Jewish traditions and laws. And we know that they've already started observing certain feasts and certain traditions, which is why earlier in Galatians, Paul had complained, you observe the days, the months, and the seasons. So they have in their heart an inclination towards religious ceremonies. So Paul says, if they accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to them. And of course, you might wonder, okay, what exactly does that mean? Paul clarifies it for us. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So when Paul said that Christ would be no advantage to them, he is saying that if they come back under the slavery of the law, in this situation, mark by accepting what the Judaizers and teaching, getting circumcised and following them, then there will be serious consequences they will be cut off from Christ if they do this. And the reason for this is, Paul says, that in doing so, they want to be justified by the law 
which means they begin to rely on the law instead of Christ. And you see, that's the thing, right? You can't pick and choose parts of the covenantal relationship, the covenantal contract that you have. It's not a buffet. You can't say, I want a little bit of Christ, maybe a little bit of circumcision here, a little bit of this. You can't. Either it is the doing of the law that makes you right with God, or Christ and what he has done to fulfill the law that makes you right. So if you would then come to the law to say you'll be justified by the law, then you need to do all of the law and you would have fallen away from the free gift, the grace that Christ offers. Because you say, uh, no thank you, I want to work for it. So the question Paul is really asking them is, Guys, are you willing to hold on to the gospel and to Christ as I have taught you? And if you are not, if you decide to follow the latest fad because you want to be popular with the Judaizers, then Paul warns them, you will not stand on the day of judgment. Now at this point we may think, actually, uh, does it matter if they choose to get circumcised? I mean, it's literally skin deep, right? So why is Paul making such a big deal of this? Can't they just get circumcised to fit in, but still follow Christ? And what if you are circumcised for medical or health reason? Are you cut off from Christ? Don't worry, Paul answers that, verse 5 and 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So Paul pictures the Christian life as one through the Spirit puts their trust in Christ and eagerly waits to be vindicated by being declared as righteous. And this would, of course, involve responding in the Spirit to the Spirit and then abounding in good works. Galatians does pick this up later. But the main point in this good works is actually how do they come about? Is it coming from humans striving to be right with God, which means we on our own terms want to tell God I'm actually a good person? Or does it come through faith in the promises of God? Because we trust in God, we love God, and that gives us the will to do the good work. And of course, if you come by faith, then that work comes through the Spirit and credit goes to God, not to yourself. So to be in Christ is to rely by faith and you cannot compromise that with your own human striving. So Paul's point is, we wait for the hope of righteousness that comes to us through the work of the Spirit which leads us in godliness. We are people who stand justified by Christ. And so our hope must be in that. So Paul says in verse 6, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. At this point, you're kind of like, eh? Is Paul contradicting himself here? But we see that he says, but it is the working of faith that leads to act of love that is important. So Paul's point is, it is about faith. He had just earlier on, right, shot the Galatians for wanting to be circumcised, and then he says it doesn't matter. 
And we can see why, where he's going, right? Paul was not opposing so much the physical action of circumcision. He is opposing the implication of circumcision to their faith. Paul himself allowed Timothy to be circumcised for gospel reason, right? So what Paul is against is that these Galatians, they want to take up the mark of the covenant between Moses. And they want to follow the law as if they were Jewish people. And so that is problematic to Paul. Now, maybe I'll try to explain this in a different way, right? Imagine a husband who say he loves his wife and trusts his wife's faithfulness. And then he goes and buys a chastity belt for his wife. This people used to do long ago, right? And then he put a padlock so that she won't cheat on him. And then he goes to the office, right? Now, he can say a hundred times that he trusts his wife. But what does the action show us? Actually, he doesn't. And that's exactly what it means for the Galatians to say, I put my trust in Jesus, but I want to come under the law. Right? So let me, entrance ticket is circumcised first, become Jewish. Now, Paul also does mention here, right, about faith working through love. And that does mean doing good things. And one of the things under the law is that the law asks you to do good things. So how do we now square this conflicting thing? One is about trusting God alone and not relying on human works. And the other one is about coming in to do works under the law. Now, to understand this, let me ask you a question. If you put your trust in Christ, what do you have to do to remain a Christian? Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, come to church law, uh, read the Bible law. But that's not the right answer, right? The answer is actually very simple. You keep on trusting. See, all the actions that you do, the good works that you do, I mean, these are good things, coming to church, reading the Bible, but it's not a ticket that buys you front rows to heaven. Rather, what Paul is trying to say in this warning here, where he touches about these good works here, that comes through the work of the Spirit, is he's trying to point out that if we say we trust Christ, but we refuse to listen to what he say, we don't want to obey him, we don't want to be like him, we don't want to mirror his character, then actually, if we do that, maybe we don't really trust Christ. Lah. We say with our mouth only. So for the Christian, the good works are a means of finding assurance of our faith. So what Paul is saying is not contradictory as, at all. Lah. So Paul is not saying don't do good works. Paul is saying don't come under the law. Don't lose your faith in Christ. So that's why the Judaizers' teaching can't lead the Galatians to have peace with God. And so what really matters is the heart and how that relates to God's promises. So in that sense... The right answer is actually not about being circumcised or uncircumcised, but whether they're trusting in Jesus, seeking to be reliant on his good works, or are they trying to say, let me do one up and let me try to prove myself before you. Right? So if circumcision is not an issue, men, you don't need to worry. Next week, we're not going to start a small station at the corner when you come in to check and see if you're circumcised or not. 
Verse 7 to 9, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So they've been doing well in their faith so far, right? But now it seems they're being called away from that faith. They're being persuaded away. They're being wooed away from their faith. And Paul said, this is not coming from God. They may think they're trying to be godly, right? That's the natural human nature, right? Oh, I've got law, got things to do, or must come to church at this time, this time, and do this how many times, give this much money. We set all these things, and we feel we're very good, that we're being very godly by adopting laws. But the point here is, that's not what God wants from them. That's not the purpose for which Christ has freed them for. So he warns them, beware of these Judaizers. They are like leaven, like yeast, that is going to flavor the whole batch of dough. Right? You put in a little bit, and it changes the whole thing. So he's saying, get rid of them before you become like them, and you follow a gospel that cannot save you. But there's also confidence here because he say he trusts that God will help them. God won't let them go astray and God himself will punish the problem guys, which are the Judaizers. Now, in verse 11, there's a change of tone and it seems that some people have claimed that he agreed about circumcision, about the teachings of the Judaizers. Verse 11, But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now, most likely, the Judaizers themselves might be trying to confuse the Galatians by misrepresenting Paul. Right? They might have said, oh, Paul, he studied Judaism. Uh, he's a Jew among Jews. Of course, he's not going to oppose you. He wants you to get circumcised one. Paul himself is circumcised what? Right? So they will say these kind of things to kind of, oh, okay, if, if, you know, if Paul will be okay with it, then maybe we should join them, right? And he, at this point, reiterates that point by saying, if he had been preaching that the Gentiles should be circumcised, the Gentiles should come under the law, then just look at him, the Judaizers wouldn't be attacking Paul. But we see from chapters 1 and 3 that Paul has been having problems with the Galatians because someone have been trying to bring them astray. Someone has kind of driven a wedge between them. Someone has come in to create problems. And so, he's pointing out, if I were agreeing with them, they wouldn't do this. So obviously, the fact that they're doing this means I don't agree with this. And remember, Last week also, sorry, not last week, two weeks ago, we see how, uh, how Paul appealed to the Galatians, right? Remember how you received me. What has happened of your blessedness? So all these persecutions show us that actually Paul does not support the Judaizers. It's a false information that's used to trick the Galatians. So, of course, Paul is angry. These are people who are intentionally misrepresenting what Paul is saying. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Now the language here is sterilized a bit. Uh, closer translation, uh, taking into account the meaning would say, I wish those who unsettled you by asking you to get circumcised 
will themselves cut off their whole thing instead of just the tip. So he's saying, you talk so much, you don't just snip, snip, circumcise, you chop off the whole thing. Pretty strong language, right? But it shows us how angry Paul is with them, that these people will pervert the gospel. And Paul is in that sense trying to push the Galatians' heart to say, reject these guys, don't keep them in your midst. Verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Christians who put their trust in Christ are given freedom. You're no longer under the law, but that freedom is not so you can go and break, 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 break and do whatever you want. It's not for you to indulge yourself. So to say we are free in Christ and then use that freedom to pursue sin, that is definitely wrong. Instead, we are called to serve each other in love. And the reason for this, as Paul tells us, the law is fulfilled if we truly love our neighbours. And you see the irony here, right? Here are the Judaizers trying to teach the Galatians, this is the law, this is what you must obey. First get circumcised, then come, we give you the whole manual and just follow everything. And Paul is saying, that's not going to save you. If you really want to come, to the law to please God, to, to act out the law in the right way. Paul is saying it's a good thing. Come and serve each other in love, not through ritualism. And verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And here he warns them that they don't fight among themselves because this is what will happen once your mindset becomes about following rules and performing and doing better, and we often do see this, right? Churches sometimes argue and split because of differences in how music has been done. Uh, sometimes certain things come out like burning of incense or robes that people wear. And we need to remember these are ritual things. Uh, it can be helpful for some people, but it by itself does not have any bearing in our righteousness before God. So, if we really care for God, the main thing we want to do is not fight, but choose to serve in love. So once again, Paul reminds them, stay away from the false teachers, these Judaizers. And so for us today, we too have to watch out for these kind of things. Sometimes, there will be people who talk about things that the church has historically done, that church has historically practiced, but be warned, if they are using it to create dissent in the church, instead of using it to encourage, edify, build up, serve each other, then you have a problem. Now, good news is I don't think there are many who do this here, thanks be to God, but in case there are people who come and they say, no, the church must only sing these songs from this book. Or the church must have incense one. Or we must come and bow in this way, do this thing, do these certain things. Then only is correct one. Then we need to be a little careful. Now, caveat, sometimes this could just be people who miss the old ways of doing things. And if they're just saying this is how they prefer to do it, or you know, this is very beautiful, that's totally fine. But there is a danger that like the Judaizers, 
There could be people who say, this is what you must do to be right with God. Then you have a problem. And Paul tells you exactly what to do. Cast them out. And it's actually very easy to differentiate between the two. The ones like the Judaizers, they will persecute those who refuse to follow. They will make it into a big issue and they will fight and bicker about it. So when you see that, cast them out before they lead you to slavery. Now remember, we're given freedom in Christ and that freedom draws us to love each other and serve each other, right? So if you are regularly attending church, that's a good thing. You need to ask the question, do you have a desire to serve each other? Or is your church going, come to church, take communion, go home. Next week, come to church, take communion, go home. If you do that, then you might have more in common with the Judaizers than you may have realized. So ask yourself, how do you serve others? Have you considered volunteering as an usher or to count the money after the service to help with cleanup? Call someone who didn't come this week to see how they're doing. There's so many ways you can serve. Don't make your Christian life about religion, but ritualism, right? So, the guy in the introduction, I asked you, how would you feel if you see him doing all these things for his colleague? And the answer is, don't look at the things that he's doing. That's like circumcision. Look at the reason he's doing it. Is he doing it because he thinks this is the right thing to do to be right with my boss? Then you tell him, it's stupid, your boss has forgiven you. But if he tells you, no, I want to serve my colleagues because I love them. I want to do some extra work so they can get their time off. I want to blanja them once in a while. Then he's acting out in love. And he's probably doing it because he's so thankful that the company covered for his mistakes that he wants to give back. So in the same way, we also need to look at our heart. In the same way, also see that Christ's purpose is to free you from the law so you can serve each other. And if you are called to serve in love, then come and serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this time together. And we pray that your word will work in our heart as we continue to meditate on these truths. Have mercy on us, Father, and help us to love and serve each other while holding firm to our faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.